we go, everybody. It's another edition of Jamal About Sports. Coming to you on a Tuesday evening, May 22nd, 2018. As always, I am your host, Jamal Hayden. Big show to get to. We've got lots of baseball to cover. We've got NBA. And believe it or not, a little NHL playoffs. But we begin with the New York Mets. And uh, it's amazing. It's not really amazing, but uh, as I say all the time, and sometimes I... Uh, I'm guilty of not heeding my own advice. It is a long season. And so last week, the the tenor and the tone uh, regarding the Mets was probably mostly negative, and, and rightfully so in a lot of ways. Uh, today will be slightly more positive, uh, given the fact that the Mets have won four games in a row. They swept the Diamondbacks over the weekend. Uh, Diamondbacks team who had gotten off to an extremely hot start. I believe they won their first seven series to start the year, uh, but then have hit some uh, a rough patch. Uh, we're one and nine in their last 10. That included the sweep at the hands of the Mets over the weekend. Uh, but look, the Mets were obviously struggling too. Right? We, we, we've, we've covered it uh, at length here on the show uh, after the 11 and one or 12 and two start. You know, the Mets had been about nine, eight or nine games under 500. Uh, over the course of 25, 26 games, which obviously over 162, not a huge sample size, but to start the year, a fair amount of games to say that, look, Mets just really weren't a very good team. Um, Also, probably uh, a case of the old axiom, you're never as good as you look when you win or as bad as you look when you you lose. Um, And so if you take that approach, which I think is, is a perfectly reasonable one, you know, what does that give you? It gives you the Mets are around a 500 team probably at the end of the year. Um, and frankly, as Mets fans, that's not what we're looking for, right? We want a team that's going to make the playoffs. And as I say all the time, once you get in, anything can happen, right? Um, I know I sound like a broken record, but no other sport uh, is the contrasts are as stark uh, between regular season and playoffs as, as they are in Major League Baseball. I mean, you see it right now in the NBA, and we'll get to that in a little while. But, I mean, the four best teams are playing in the Final Four of the NBA, right? Oftentimes, that is not the case in Major League Baseball. And in, in, and in football, generally speaking, generally speaking, the best teams end up in the Super Bowl. Not always, but more often than not, they do. Um, but, look, good series against uh, the Diamondbacks, you know, DeGrom came back uh, after you know the DL stint. He had the one-inning start. Then he came back. He pitched great uh, on Friday night, right? Seven innings, one run, 13 strikeouts. He was dominant. Um, they, they were able to overcome a poor start by Steven Mass, which is still uh, a source of, of concern, right? He's been okay in some starts and, and, and not very good in others. Uh, but they got a very clutch two-run homer from Devin Mezzarocco, newly acquired in the Matt Harvey deal. Uh, to tie that game, um, and then they won it uh, late on a sack fly by Wilmer Flores, who has uh, shown a penchant for being a, a clutch uh, late-inning walk-off uh, hit kind of guy ever since you go back to three years ago when uh, he thought he was traded one night and was crying to the next game against the Nationals. Uh, he had a, a walk-off home run in extra innings. Um, I believe the other day that was his seventh uh, walk off, if you will, hit and his fairly young career. So, and then you got a good start out of Syndergaard on Sunday, also won seven innings. And, you know, look, 
when the Mets, when those two guys pitch, the Mets are like between the two of them. Rather, they're eight and eight and one with a sub two ERA. Uh, the rest of the staff has has been abysmal, and part of that was Jason Vargas, and that's why I thought last night, even though it's May, and even though the Marlins aren't very good, I thought last night was an important win to keep the momentum going. They had Vargas on the hill, and nobody needed a good start more than he after his 0-3, 13-ERA start to the year. Now, I did say last week I was less concerned about him than I am Wheeler or Matz for the simple fact that he's a control pitcher, he's a field pitcher, he's a slop guy, and you know it's all about touch and feel with those guys. And he did miss you know the end of spring training because of the broken bone. Um, and uh, the Mets did a smart thing, actually. They, they skipped him a couple of times in the rotation. They were able to between off days and rainouts because it never stops raining in the city, by the way, raining again today. Um, but uh, And so you know he worked on some stuff on the side with Dave Island, which I think I said that he would do last week. And then, look, he pitched a nice game last night. Again, I get it. The Marlins are not very good. That's, a, that's an easy mark for him, or it should be. It's a good matchup for him. you got a bunch of young, free-swinging uh, hitters in that lineup. Um, their best hitter is a lefty. He's a lefty. Uh, Jason Bohr being the Marlins' best hitter. Um, and, you know, for a guy who throws, you know, a, a 2-0, when you're looking fastball, he'll throw you a changeup. Um, but you can see the changeup in his first three starts was up in the strike zone all the time. Last night it was down. Um, he pitched very well. Now, I thought it was curious that with a one nothing lead, because the Mets still can't score any runs, by the way, <laughs> but with a one nothing lead and only 86 pitches, they took him out of the game. Uh, you know, this is not a guy that are trying to protect his arm. So it seemed like a curious move and ended up working. The bullpen did its job. Uh, there was some dicey, uh, there was a dicey situation there in the sixth. Uh, Paul Seawald, after getting the first two outs, gave up a hit and a walk. Then A.J. Ramos came in. Of course, he had walked the first guy he got, uh, but then he was able to strike out the next guy. Very, very fortunate, by the way. I mean, he did a nice job. But, you know, Derek Dietrich, who kills the Mets, by the way, kills them. Up 2-0 in the count, swung up ball three, swung up ball four, and then Ramos got him to swing, I think, on a 3-2 curveball over the top. Very good pitch. Uh, and then next inning, gave up a leadoff hit, uh, and then was able to get the next guy out and then got a, a double play on a comebacker uh, to get out of the inning. Uh, Seth Lugo uh, tiptoed through the raindrops in, in, the, uh, in the eighth, uh, gave up a couple of hard-hit balls. Brendan Nimmo made a really nice catch after a guy tripled uh, to end the inning. And then Familia gave him a pretty pretty clean ninth inning. He gave up a, a hit, but that was it, a one-out hit. Um, and other than that, he was fine. So, look, good win on a couple of, for a couple of reasons, right? Keep the momentum going. That's four in a row. Mets are now five over 500. So, you know, look, despite the amazing starts and unexpected starts by the Phillies and the Braves, they're like a game back in the loss column. And the Nationals, who got really hot for a while, then they, they got swept over the weekend. So the Mets are, I think, essentially even with them, or if not, you know, a game up. And again, way too early in the season to start looking at standings. Um, but again, the, the difference between last week and this week is stark. So it was important for Vargas to pitch well, he did. Important for the Mets to win the game, they did. I mean, look, the, I'd be very surprised. I'm not going to even say that. The Phillies are not going to maintain this pace. And the Braves may not either. Although the Braves, as I've said before, uh, are more likely to because that's a, you know, look, they're young hitters. 
Acuna and Albies, I mean, those guys are going to hit some some rough patches. Everybody does, right? Um, and I think they've pitched a little bit over their heads, have the Braves. But they seem more apt to be to have long-term success over the course of a long season because they've got a good lineup. It's not just the young guys. They've got Freddie Freeman. They've got Nick Markakis. Um, both their catchers, Suzuki and Flowers, can both hit. So, you know, they're not reliant wholly on young guys. And the Phillies, other than, you know, look, uh, Odubel Herrera is off to a ridiculously hot start. Carlos Santana did his typical, you know, invisible for the month of April. Now he started to turn it on a little bit. You know, the rest of that lineup does not scare you that much. I know Reese Hoskins, everybody loved. He had a great end to the year last year. He's off to a decent start this year. We'll see. Um, but the rest of that lineup is not great. Now, they do have Arietta, who is pitched much better than he did last year or even the year before for the Cubs. He looks more like the Arietta three years ago. See if that holds up over the course of a long year. Uh, and I don't think the Phillies' bullpen is particularly strong. So, uh, But having said that, Again, the beginning of the year, the conventional wisdom was, well, the Mets are going to be able to fatten up against the likes of the Phillies, the Braves, and the Marlins. Well, certainly the Phillies and the Braves are not (laughs) cooperating. Uh, And so the Mets are really going to need to take care of business against the Marlins. They play them 19 times. I I mean, look, if they're going to try to make the playoffs, they want to make the playoffs, you know, 13 and 6 at worst. I mean, that's the worst they can do in those 19 games. So far, so good, 4-0. Uh, we'll see if they get the game in tonight. Looks like it stopped raining a little bit. Um, but, uh, you know, Wheeler goes tonight. Uh, look, he was wretched again in his last start last week. You know, the Mets played that game on Wednesday in, in the rain the whole game because it was against the Blue Jays. And, you know, Major League Baseball has basically issued an edict that, you know, essentially unless it's, you know, raining, you know, biblical proportions or there's lightning – you're playing a damn game if it's an interleague game, which is another reason why interleague plays stupid, by the way, and it's completely lost all its cachet and has for years. Uh, I've been saying that now for about five years. Um, and, you know, look, Wheeler, they, they, they had a little delay there. Uh, he looked good early, and then it seemed like it threw him off his game. I'm sorry. Like, he, he, you know, he's been around long enough. I mean, I know he's not, he hasn't pitched a ton in the major leagues because of the injuries, but you know what? He's not a 21-year-old kid anymore. You, 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 you got to be able to be better than that. And, um, and so he was really bad again last week. I mean, that's, that's the problem with Wheeler is that when he's off, I mean, he, he doesn't give you any shot to win. I mean, Matz wasn't great the other night, but at least it was like five innings, four runs, or whatever it was, or four innings, four runs. But, you know, and then the bullpen held it down. Uh, and the bullpen really, for the most part, other than that disaster against the Nationals where they blew the 5-1 lead, the 6-1 lead, and a couple of other hiccups along the way, this has been pretty good. I mean, Gesellman has been a godsend. He gave him a five-out save the other day on Sunday because Familia had been used back-to-back games. Uh, Lugo has been a revelation out of the bullpen, too. Um, you know, A.J. Ramos, you never know what you're getting with that guy. I mean, I, I wouldn't trust him as far as I could throw him. Uh, you know, Familia is, to me, still one of the best closers in the league. And, you know, Blevins has not been very good at all. You hope that this is not indicative of just a bad year overall and that eventually, you know, uh, he'll revert to the mean, as it, as it were, and, and be at least, at least effective against lefties, which he has been for the majority of his career. And certainly his career with the Mets, he's been a very effective lefty specialist. Um, another interesting uh, development is Devin Mesoraco. Boy, is it nice to watch a major league quality catcher play for the Mets because they haven't had one in, mm, 
I don't know what, maybe since Paul Duca was there. I mean, look, he's not great, okay? Um, he's hitting, you know, whatever, 210. He's, I think he has five hits with the Mets, but three of them are home runs. Uh, you could definitely see he's got some pop, but, he's a, but he knows how to catch. He actually blocks balls in the dirt. He had a very nice one last night in the game. Um, he calls a good game. He, he apparently there was a good article in the paper last week about how much studying he did on the Mets pitchers. Uh, he's calling for more pitches inside. Um, look, we all thought Travis Darno, or we all at least hoped Travis Darno was going to be a star. And it looked like at the second half of 2015 he had arrived. Right, he ended up the year with a plus 800 plus OPS. Uh, hit a home run or two in the playoffs. You know, his defense was never great, but he looked like he was going to be, you know, a, a, a dynamic offensive player. Never happened, right? He had a terrible 2016, and he's hurt again. I, I mean, and Kevin Fluecki, I'm sorry. Guy's just not major league quality. He's not. He's just not. I know he had, you know, 24 good games in meaningless, in meaningless September last year. Big, big whoop. Who cares? And he stinks defensively, too. So uh, at least they got Mesoraco. And you know what? They got rid of Lobatone. I applaud them for that because even though Thomas Nido is not a major league hitter, he's at least decent defensively. You know, Lobatone's supposed to be a defensive specialist. And I didn't think he was all that great at it. So, uh, look, I'd still like to see the Mets upgrade a catcher and get a, 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 a more credible uh, backup in there. You know, I, I don't think waiting around for Kevin Plawecki to come back off a broken hand is, is, is wise, but these are the Mets, so I'm sure that's what they're going to do, and they'll try to patch it together, but at least I will say this for Callaway, he's playing Mesoraco a lot already. I mean, I think the only times he's sat is our day games after night games, so uh, that's nice to see. And as Drupal Cabrera continues to be a revelation, I mean, he had a big, huge pinch hit home run, uh, two-run home run Sunday. Uh, had the first run batted in last night on a double that Rosario scored from first base on because it was a 3-2 count and he was running. And that's the last thing. Look, myself, I, I'm as guilty as anybody. I've been very impatient with Rosario. And, you know, look, it's hard, right, when you're in New York and you look across the, the town and you see the Yankees guys like Torres and Andujar and, you know, Judge last year, um, you know, even guys you know who came from other organizations that were um, kind of failed in that organization, but that found themselves the Yankees, like Aaron Hicks um, and Didi Gregorius. Uh, you know, it, it's hard to be patient. And you see, you know, uh, the the guy uh, Juan Soto for the Nats the other day, the youngest player in the league, first at bat, three run homer. You know, you see the two kids on the Braves, uh, Albies and Acuna. So you want your guy to be as good as them. But he's only 22, and you can see the tools are there. You can see he's got a quick bat. You can see he's got strong hands, strong wrists, strong forearms. He does have some pop. He had two home runs in a game on Sunday. Um, he started to show a little bit better uh, selectivity at the plate. Uh, he had a nice at-bat yesterday where he worked a count of 3-2 and two and then hit a line drive single. Um, the defense has been okay, hasn't been great. You know, you haven't seen any of the spectacular jaw-dropping plays that you thought you would see from him, although he made a very nice play deep in the hole last night with a long throw to first to get a big out late in the game. Um, but you got to be patient. I mean, he's 22. And you can see, I mean, that, that play last night where he scored from first base on, on was basically a ground ball single to right field. I mean, it ended up being a double, but, I mean, it wasn't really pulled down the line. It was, you know, towards the line. It wasn't right down the line. He didn't go all the way to the wall. Right fielder got it well before the warning track even. But, I mean, he is fast. 
Now, if he can harness that, learn how to steal some bases, that would be nice. I know Major League Baseball thinks that that doesn't matter anymore, um, but at the very least, you know, having speed like that on the base pass. I mean, even Callaway said it on Sunday. You know, uh, when Jared Dyson for the Diamondbacks was on base three times, and you could tell the Mets were paying a lot of attention to him. Now, it ended up not hurting him, but you'd like to see Rosario be able to exert that same kind of pressure on the opposing team when he gets on base. So um, he's started to look a lot better, so we'll see. Um, at, at least, you know, last week it certainly felt like, I mean, that game on Wednesday. By the way, have the Mets ever, ever, won one of those games where it's gloomy at either Shea Stadium or at City Field, regardless of the time of year. It could be this time of year. It could be late in the season when the season's over. It could be late in the season when the game means something. I mean, did the Mets ever win in those games ever? They never win those games. It's unbelievable. I was talking to my buddy Johnny about it on Wednesday. He's a big Mets fan, and we, he laughed. He's like, no, I don't think we ever have. Um, so we'll see. I mean, you know, it's, it's only Tuesday. By, the, by Sunday, we could be. I'll be singing a completely different tune. Um, but last week, again, it felt like pretty much the season was going to collapse and crater and they were never going to get out of it. And um, now at least there's, there's a little bit of a glimmer of hope. So moving on. Uh, look, not a lot to talk about the Yankees. I mean, aside from the fact that, what, they're 32 and 17 or whatever it is they are, and they are just bludgeoning teams and just hitting about you know three or four home runs a game. Um, you know, The young guys, as I mentioned earlier, have done a, a nice job. Uh, I mean, the, the embarrassment of riches the Yankees have. I mean, Brandon Drury, who was a, a savvy pickup by Cashman in the offseason, he's not even going to play now. Um, you know, they don't miss Ellsbury at all. Well, not that they would. Um, you know, Brett Gardner has not had a great year. He's hitting about 220. doesn't matter. You know, Stanton got off to that, that, that slow start, and, you know, the idiotic entitled Yankee fans, not all of them, the entitled ones, you know, booing him in, you know, fifth game of the year. Uh, he's been just fine. Judge's done done his thing. Uh, they haven't missed Greg Bird at first base at all. Um, so uh, you know, to this guy Tyler Austin, whoever he might be, uh, has filled in admirably. I think has seven or eight home runs. Uh, Gary Sanchez, after a very slow start, I think he's got twelve home runs. I mean, they, the Yankees just come at you in waves, and their pitching hasn't been great, but it doesn't matter. And, and honestly, I'm calling it now. I mean, the, the regular season is almost irrelevant. The thing is, the Yankees want to win the division because they don't. They're making the playoffs one way or the other. But the problem is, the Red Sox are also pretty good. And JD Martinez has been a great pickup for them, and he's having MVP caliber year so far to start the year. As is Mookie Betts. So they're certainly a worthy adversary. Um, and you know, they've got Sale at the top of the rotation. A price could ever be consistent and give him, you know. Give him at least a, a reasonable facsimile of the, his old ace self. Uh, that would be a huge boost. But Porcello's had a great year for them so far. Pomerantz hasn't been very good, and the, the rest of the back rotation guys haven't been very good. Um, and that bullpen in front of Kimbrel is still a little dicey. But, you know, look, the Red Sox, if they need to go out and, and make a trade for an arm, they will. I mean, they did it last year with the Mets. They got Addison Reed, and he helped them down the stretch. Um, but the thing is, you know, look, imagine being a Yankee fan and they win, let's just say for argument's sake, they win 105 games, but the Red Sox win 106. And the Yankees are the first wild card. And then they got to play, you know, the Indians, let's say, um, or uh, Seattle or uh, Anaheim. Because Anaheim, you know, Anaheim could be the, the, the second wild card. And they got to go against Otani. Maybe Otani lines up and he's their, their starter, and they lose in a one game, you know, that one playoff game after 104 wins. I mean, that would be devastating. 
So uh, you want to win the division if you're the Yankees, the way the AL looks right now. Um, but look, their pitching has not been great. It hasn't. It doesn't need to be right now. And I understand they're beating up on the Rangers, who aren't any good, and they beat up on the Royals, who aren't any good. Um, and Sonny Gray finally gave him a good start uh, against the Royals, eight eight strong innings. And by the way, for as bad as the Royals are, their lineup is actually not bad. So uh, before you dismiss the Sonny Gray start as oh, it's against a terrible team, well, yeah, the Royals can't pitch at all. Their lineup is still is not terrible. So. Uh, you give him credit for that. Now, you got to see more than one good start from Sonny Gray. He's not been good since he's been a Yankee. But their pitching is not great. You know, and even the bullpen, I mean, Chapman is great, but, you know, Robertson's been okay, not great. You know, some of the other guys, Canley's been up and down, and, you know, Holder's been good and sometimes not great. I mean, their, their pitching has not been lights out, but again, it has not needed to be so far. Now, of course, that changes, obviously, when the playoffs roll around. Playing against better teams, facing better pitchers, guys that aren't going to probably give up five home runs a game. Um, so, uh, I mean, look, that, that's it. This, that's what this season's about for the Yankees: staying healthy and winning the division. That's it. That's all. That's all it's about. I mean, yeah, you know, guys are going to put up massive numbers for them. And look, being a Yankee fan's fun right now. You got young guys, you got young stars, and in, in, in Judge and Stanton, you've got young up and coming stars and Torres and Andujar. Um, you know, the position players, they're loaded. You know, the pitching, again, you know, that Tanaka can be good at times. You, you know, he wasn't great last night, didn't need to be. You know, Sabathia, same thing. Sometimes it'll give you a good start, sometimes eh. You know, Severino looks like he could be a stud. Um, you know, Sonny Gray, who knows, right? And then, you know, they'll, they'll patch it together with the fifth starter. But um, that's, look, it's definitely fun times to be a Yankee fan. Uh, but again, uh you know, it's it, the regular season is almost a moot point. I mean, it's really just enjoy the ride, right? And I'm sure they'll hit a little bit of a rough patch at some point. Every team does over a course of 162 games. Um, but uh, for them, again, it's all about staying healthy and winning the division. And then the last thing is a uh, big debate now as, as we see the sport that we once knew change dramatically. Um, where now there's a verb called bullpenning. So the Rays pulled this move off the other day where they were playing the Angels and they were going to start a rookie. But then they didn't want to start a rookie because they didn't want him to face the top of the order because he was a lefty and, you know, you've got Mike Trout amongst the top three hitters for the, for the Angels. And so what they did is they took Sergio Romo, who at one time was a closer for the Giants. He's now basically hanging on by a thread. He was released by the Dodgers, I think, after spring training. He's essentially a seventh inning-ish setup guy. Um, you know, can get guys out here and there, uh, but is certainly not a closer anymore and not even a primary setup guy. Um, but he started the first inning. <laughs> and then, you know, because now there's all this data out there that, well, you know, guys third time through the order, well, then you, you, know, you let them start the game later. Uh, and you have a guy like this, Sergio Romo's, you know, I don't want to say sacrificial lamb, but, you know, a guy you're not going to probably use late in the game with a lead anyway, so see if you could have him start the game. And it worked. It did work. Now, of course, there are a lot of old school people who think this is utterly ridiculous. I'm, I'm, I, I'm willing to have an open mind about it. I think it actually could be a pretty innovative way to go. I mean, look, the Astros won't, won't do this right now because they don't need to because they've got Verlander, they've got Keuchel, they've got Garrett Cole, and they've got uh, McCullers. 
And they got four really good starters. Excuse me. So as I was saying, uh, look, I, I'm actually going to keep an open mind about this. Uh, because if you don't have a, you know, look, if, if you've got maybe one or two good starters, I mean, the Rays starting pitching is not very good. So, uh, look, it's kind of innovative. Uh, you know, it, it could totally blow up on them, too. And they're not going to do this every game. But um, we'll see if this is something that other teams adopt. Like I was saying, I mean, look, if the Mets are going to continue, if, if Wheeler and Mats are going to continue to struggle like this, I mean, the Mets have a couple of guys that certainly – uh, would fit the bill. I mean, Seawald could do it, certainly. I mean, I think I think it, you wouldn't do it with Gisselman or Lugo. I mean, you would just put them back into the rotation because those guys were starters last year and for the majority of their careers have been starters. But, um, you know, look, uh, Paul Seawald, who's gone three innings at a time out of the bullpen earlier uh, this season, uh, he certainly would be a candidate to do something like that. Um, you know, if for some reason you, you, you felt like... Um, you know, if, if, if somebody went down with an injury and they had to call up, say, like a Corey Oswalt to, to quote unquote, make a start, he wouldn't make the start, but you would bring him in in this, you know, the second or the third inning. Uh, it might be something worth examining. So I'm, I'm actually not against it at all. You know, I, I think we've got to wait and see and look at it and see, see how that happens. Um, you know, I mean, in, in this case, again, with the, with the Rays, it's a specific set of circumstances, right? Rookie pitcher, uh, their pitching staff isn't that good to begin with anyway, um, you know, against a particularly uh, dangerous lineup, a bunch of righties against a lefty. So, I mean, again, it did work this one time. We'll see if this is something that's a trend or if this is a, an outlier. Um, but I don't hate the idea at all. Um, and, uh, you know, speaking of which, again, you know, we talk about on the show all the time, you know, strike up, strikeouts are, are way up, right, both obviously for pitchers and hitters. Um, and, you know, a lot of that can be, can be uh, explained by the fact that, you know, guys are, you know, the whole launch angle thing, right? Guys are looking to put the ball in the air more. Um, but also, and I think this isn't really talked about that much, you know, <laughs> In the last like five years or so, maybe it's even been longer. I mean, check swings that in the past were never called swings are now called swings that that end up being you know either strikeouts or lead to strikeouts, uh, and I think that that plays also a big role also. Um, so anyway, all right, we'll take a quick run around the league. We'll play a little pepper here, shall we? And uh, take a look at some of the standings. So. You know, we talked about the Yankees, Red Sox, right? The Blue Jays got off to a nice start. Um, they've come crashing back down to earth. Uh, their starting pitching has just been absolutely miserable. It was supposed to be a strength with, you know, Stroman and Estrada and Sanchez and Jay Happ. Well, Stroman was bad and then is now on the DL. Estrada's not, and Estrada's not great, but he, you know, he's a guy that's been decent for them for, for years, sort of a, a finesse guy as a righty. Um, you know, Hap's been good, but also um, Asuna hasn't been good. So uh, their rotation is bad. They're now 22 and 25. The Orioles are having about as bad a year as you can have at 15 and 32. Uh, the big story there will be whether or not they trade Machado this year or if he just walks as a free agent or if they resign him, which looks less and less likely. Uh, I mean, if the Orioles are smart, they need to have a fire sale because they have pieces that will bring. I mean, Machado will obviously bring back, should bring back a lot. Now, uh, whomever they trade him to, you know, if that if that if you're that team, 
If you do it on a rental, that's a possibility, right? So let's say somebody like the Dodgers, for instance. Let's, you know, they're getting back in the mix, right? They had a horrible start to the year, ton of injuries. Look, the record's still not great, 20 and 27, but, you know, the Rockies are 26 and 22 leading the division. So, you know, it's way too early to give up on the Dodgers. Let's say they get themselves back in the mix, and by the trade deadline, they're within a game or two or even four games of, of the division or a wild card. Uh, they may try to take trade for Machado as a rental. Um, I think the, the desire there, though, would be to, to have the understanding that he would be obviously open to a long-term deal with that team if you're going to give up a lot of prospects. As a rental, obviously, you give up fewer prospects. Uh, but they should, they should be able to get a ton back from Machado. Adam Jones is a useful player teams might want. Um, certainly, they got some guys in the bullpen, Darren O'Day, Brad Brack. Um, you know, if Cobb actually uh, gets his act together, who, you know, looked like a savvy signing. But again, they didn't sign him till what, the beginning of the year or the very end of spring training. So he basically didn't have a spring training. So it's taken him a while to get his act together. You know, they might want to look at trading Tillman. I mean, they've, they've got some pieces there. You know, I don't know if they would trade Jonathan Scope, maybe the good second baseman. Um, but they've got pieces there uh, because, you know, look, it looks like they, they need to, I mean, again, you have to look at the landscape of your division. You know, the, the Yankees and the Red Sox aren't going anywhere. So, you know, if you're the Orioles, you need to rebuild. And, uh, you know, apparently the farm system isn't great. So that, that'll, that's, that, that will bear watching. The Orioles could be the most important player as far as trade deadline is concerned when it comes time for that. Um, but, you know, again, look, Yankees are 31 and 13. Red Sox are 32 and 15. I mean, they're the two best teams in that division, and it's not even close. Tampa Bay's a distant third at 22 and 23. Uh, the AL Central, very similar to last year. Cleveland off to a slow start. Twins hanging around. I mean, Cleveland's in first place at 22 and 23. Twins are 20 and 23. Um, you know, but again, run differential does matter at times. And I think this is indicative of that. Look, the, the Indians are plus 18, the Twins are minus 19. Uh, you know, the, the, the Twins aren't a bad team. They, said they haven't pitched well. You know, Irvin Santana getting hurt didn't help. Uh, Barrios has not done as well as they had hoped so far. You know, still early. He had a good start last night, actually. Um, but, uh, you know, I think the Indians, the Indians, again, are the class of that division. You know, the Tigers are 20 and, 20, 20 and 27 in a rebuild. And then, I mean, look, the White Sox are 13 and 31 with a minus 76 run differential. And the Royals are 14 and 33 with a minus 90. I mean, you know, again, uh, Mike Moustakis, uh, particularly if Todd Frazier is, uh, you know, he's, he's out on the DL for the Mets now uh, with a hamstring. Hamstrings are tricky. Um, you know, if he gets if he gets hurt again, I mean, I assume he'll be back in the next week or so. But you know, if he goes out again for any extended period of time, uh, and I'm on the Mets and I'm in the mix, uh, Mike Mustakos would be a guy I would go after hard uh, because the Royals brought him back only on a one year deal, so he's a free agent at the end of the year anyway. So I know you signed Frazier for two years. Uh, would it matter? He would be you know a late season rental essentially. But the Royals are I mean a really bad. I mean, and that's the other thing. I mean, because the Cubs and the Astros had success with tearing it down and then, you know, winning the World Series, now this is what everybody is doing. And so you've got teams that are that bad. The Orioles are 15 and 32. You've got uh, the Rangers are 18 and 31. The A's, God bless them, I don't know how, they're 25 and 22. But, you know, in the West, you've got Astros are 30 and 18. Mariners are 27 and 19. And the Angels have actually hit a bit of a rough patch. Three and seven in the last 10, they're 26 and 21. 
Um, you know, the whole Cano thing, as I said last week, I don't think it's as big a deal as everybody else. Uh, the rest of that lineup is pretty good. The, the Mariners, if they're starting pitching, uh, improves. That's what they need. And then in the, in the East, we talked about it. I mean, look, the Braves, Phillies, Mets, Nationals are all within three games of each other. Uh, and then the Marlins are, you know, bringing up the rear with 17-30 record. Uh, we all know about them. They also have a minus 90 run differential. Um, NL Central, probably the best division in baseball right now. You've got the Brewers at 29 and 19, Cardinals at 26 and 19, Cubs at 25 and 19, and the Pirates are 26 and 20. And you've got the Reds at the bottom at 16 and 32. Um, but all of those teams have pretty good run differentials. Brewers plus 17, Cardinals plus 33, Cubs, interesting, plus 72, but only six games over 500. And the Pirates are plus 24. So they're all plus, which is a good indicator. And then you've got the Rockies at 26 and 22 with a minus 23 run differential. Diamondbacks, after I told you that hot start, one and nine in the last ten have lost five in a row, including that sweep at the hands of the Mets, twenty-five and twenty-two. And then the Giants have have wormed their way back after a very slow start to twenty-four and twenty-four. And remember, they're going to get Bumgarner back at some point this year, and Brandon Belt's having an, uh, a tremendous year for them so far, the first baseman. And then the Dodgers at twenty and twenty-seven. Uh, again, they need to get healthy. Um, there's you know Kershaw on the DL, obviously Seager out for the year. Um, you know. And certain guys like, you know, Corey Taylor, who came out of nowhere last year, or Chris Taylor, rather, um, you know, are not uh, replicating what they did last year. And then, of course, the Padres are the Padres, 20 and 29. Again, Padres, why, why even be in the league? Seriously. Why are the Padres even in the league anymore? Get rid of them. Well, yeah, Tampa Bay, at least, is competitive every year, right? I mean, you shouldn't have a baseball team in Tampa Bay. Nobody goes. It's the worst stadium in sports. And Montreal should have a team. But... You know what? At least Tampa Bay competes. San Diego's a joke, okay? They are never any good. Uh, they just gave that ridiculous contract to Eric Hosmer. For what? For what? So you could win 78 games instead of 75? It's a poorly run organization. They make the Mets look like the Yankees. Move them out. Get them over to Montreal. Enough with the Padres. They're stupid uniforms, too. I can't stand them. I'm so done with the Padres. I mean, look, they've been around since I was a baseball fan. Dave Winfield, Gaylord Perry, uh, Randy Jones. They said that, you know, the, the, the mustard and brown uniforms, Gary Templeton. I mean, yeah, I get it. I mean, there's some history there. I understand. They did make the World Series in 84 and lost the Tigers. Uh, were it not for, you know, ball going through Leon Durham's legs. Uh, Steve Garvey, you know, finished his career out after a great career with the Dodgers, with the Padres. Look, they're, they're not a total joke, but, I mean, the last 10 years have not been good. Um, they do have a very nice ballpark, though. Yeah, Petco Park is nice. Uh, so there you go. I mean, that's, that's your story in Major League Baseball. All right, we'll take a short break, and we'll be back with the NBA right after this. And we are back here on Jamal About Sports, Tuesday edition, back with some NBA. So talked about it last week. Cavs were down 0-2. I said I wasn't worried. I, saw, I said this series is going 7 uh, all the old stuff applies, right? Bench guys for the Celtics play much better at home than they do on the road. Even the younger guys who are starters play much better at home than they do on the road. You saw that in these two games in Cleveland. Uh, LeBron doing LeBron things, 44 points again last night. I mean, look, he's so good, okay? Yes, I know he had a stinker in uh, the first game, whatever. 
Who cares? Okay, he's allowed one stinker. Uh, of course, all the LeBron haters, they all like to puff up their chest, you know, when the guy has the, the, the extremely rare off night, right? And then we have to get all the idiotic comparisons that Jordan never had a bad I know. Michael Jordan never had a bad game in the history of his career. I know. Um, meanwhile, half these people making this argument probably never even saw Jordan play. So uh, that's the other thing. But um, look, wasn't worried, right? Felt pretty comfortable that the Cavs were going to go back to Cleveland and win two. Now they're going to play tonight, right? They play tonight? Let me just see. Pretty sure they're playing tonight. Uh, let's take a look at the NBA, shall we? Uh, no, I am 100% wrong. Duh, because they played last night. <laughs> Houston Golden State plays tonight. Um, but look, the, the thing is, and I said this last week, I mean, they just they could just get like 70 points from the rest of the guys. You know, Love, Corver, J.R. Smith, uh, Tristan Thompson, who had a nice game last night, 13 and 12. I mean, LeBron, he, he is that good. And I understand everybody gets all excited because, you know, Marcus Morris had a, you know, a couple of nice uh, series uh, possessions against LeBron. I mean, let's relax before we start calling Marcus Morris a LeBron stopper. Uh, nobody's a LeBron stopper. Um, you know, Lance Stevenson likes to fancy himself a LeBron stopper. He, he's not either. I believe Indiana's. He's probably playing golf somewhere. The rest of the Pacers. Um, so look, I, I still think this, you know the Celtics are still the better team, right? One through eight or ten or whatever you want to use, they're the better team. Uh, but LeBron is that good that he can make up for a lot of that. And, you know, if somebody on the Celtics has an off night or a couple of guys have off nights, which, you know, look, these guys are really good young players, but, you know, they're not proven yet, right? I mean, Al Horford's probably the most proven player they have right now. You know, Jalen Brown, young guy. Tatum, young guy. He's a rookie. Jalen Brown's in his second year. Rogier, what is this, his second or third year, right? Marcus Smart, third year. Um... You know, they, they, they're not a veteran-laden team. So uh, while that certainly bodes well for the future, right, and they're going to get, um, obviously, Kyrie Irving back next year, right, and uh, Gordon Hayward, who, again, is a nice player. Let's, let's not get crazy. He's not a superstar. Just because he was the best player on some mediocre jazz teams does not make him a superstar. He's a nice player. He's a good player. Um, so their future certainly bode, looks is extremely bright. Uh, but, and they should win this series because they're going to play game seven at home, assuming it goes to game seven, which I'm predicting that it will. And they're the better team one through eight. But if they lose the game seven, like, I don't think there's any huge, like, choke job or, or any big shock. I mean, it's LeBron. Guy's been in the final seven years in a row. <laughs> this would make it eight. Now, I understand some of that came when he was with the Heat, and that was when, you know, Wade and Bosch were younger and better. But nevertheless, I mean, seven years in a row in the finals. Guy knows what he's doing. Oh, and plus, by the way, uh, he and his wife donating $41 million to, to, to send kids to college and pay, full, pay, pay for their education. Tell me again why I'm not supposed to like this guy, though. Tell me again why guys like Skip Bayless get to somehow make a career out of taking pot shots at LeBron James. Ridiculous. Again, I'm an iconoclast by nature. I'm a contrarian by nature. Generally speaking, everybody likes somebody. I don't like them. I will admit it. I'll be the first to admit it. Particularly if that player or that team causes my team angst. But... Uh, in this respect, I don't see where the argument against LeBron James is. There isn't any. 
That's because there isn't any. Now, yes, is he a perfect player? No. Has he had some bad games in playoffs and finals? Yes, of course he has. He's not a robot. He's not a machine. But he's damn close from a, from a production standpoint. And as far as Golden State Houston is concerned, I, mean, I said it last week too. I mean, this series has been god-awful. It's been god-awful. Every game has been a blowout. Game one, close game one. Houston blew them out game two. Then they, they, Houston won by 30 in game two, and then Golden State won by 40 in game three. And the first game was like 16 points. I mean, none of these games are any good. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, it's, again, same thing. Golden State's a better team than Houston, right? They've got three, and if you want to count Draymond Green, four really good players, star-level players, right? Houston has two. Harden, Paul. Now, look, I like Clint Capella a lot. He's a good player, but he's not as good as Draymond Green. Right? I like Eric Gordon a lot. And can Eric Gordon have massive games? Sure he can, but he's not as good as Clay Thompson. It'll be interesting to see because, you know, D'Antoni is a pretty mild-mannered guy, right, most of his career, and he actually gets a lot of flack for that. But he flat-out called his team soft after that performance the other night. So it will be very interesting to see if Houston takes that to heart. I suspect they will. I mean, it's the same thing. It's like you knew after the Cavs got blown out in that first game, LeBron was going to come out like a, with a, like, with a, like a man on a mission. And he did, and he has, and he's continued to. So, uh, but I, honestly, that, that, that series is not compelling. So, I mean, I can tell you this right now. Assuming Golden State wins that series, and, and, and I, I, I'm predicting that they will, if you give me a Golden State... Celtics finals. I mean, I might watch about a quarter of that whole thing. <laughs> I have no interest. None. Cleveland's another story, of course, because of LeBron. But other than that, I mean, I, look, I grew up hating the Celtics. I will admit it. I'm a Knicks fan. I grew up in New York. All right? I grew up in the 80s when the Celtics were really good. They had the dynasty. Bird, Parrish, McHale, Ainge, Dennis Johnson. So, Casey Jones, the coach. You know, I mean, then you know, the one year Walton had a decent year off the bench, and you know, Jerry Seesting and uh, Scott Wedman and uh, you know, Rick Carlisle, David Thirdkill. I mean, <laughs> those are the Celtics I I remember. I'll never forget. It was in '84 when the Knicks were good, and they beat the Pistons in the old Joe Louis Arena when Bernard was out of his mind. Went for fifty. In a game five, in those in those days, the first round of the playoffs were uh, five best of five, not best of seven. Until David Stern had to change that because God forbid the Lakers didn't get in when Kobe was on the Lakers and they lost the one year, and then they switched it back to seven games in the first round. But uh, I remember my buddy AG and I went to a Knicks game. Knicks were down 2-0, coming back to the Garden. They lost the first two games in Boston Garden. Came back, and uh, it was a Friday night game. We went to the garden, scalped tickets, 20 bucks each, which at the time seemed like a lot of money. Sat all the way in the upper tank, but first row of the upper tank and pretty close to midcourt. And the garden was, I mean, it was one of the more fun sporting events I've ever been in in my life. I mean, granted, I was 14 years old, maybe 15. Um, but the starting five for the Knicks was Bill Cartwright at center. All right, this is pre-Ewing. So it was Cartwright at center. Bernard, small forward, Truck Robinson at power forward, and I'm pretty sure the backcourt was 
uh, Ray Williams, and maybe Trent Tucker started, or was it Gerald? No, Gerald Wilkins wasn't there yet. He was drafted the year with Patrick. Yeah. And then I think the Knicks had, I think, Paul Westfall coming off the bench, Ernie Grunfeld coming off the bench, Daryl Walker coming off the bench. Uh, and the Knicks won that game. And I remember McHale going in the foul line late in that game for some, some clutch free throws, and normally he always made them in the place. I mean, nobody hated it. We hated the Celtics. The most hated Celtic, I think, was McHale. I think every, we called him Frankenstein. I mean, Knicks fans, we hated all everybody. Maybe Ainge, too, Ainge, because Ainge was a real irritant also. And you, you sort of, like, you could get, you know, you, you, you begrudgingly accepted that Bird was great, right? And Robert Parrish was really good. And even McHale. I mean, nobody had better low post game than McHale. I mean, he was phenomenal. But Ainge was kind of like, really, Danny Ainge? You know, that his, you know, his, his, his you know, schoolboy face and his, his dopey haircut and whatever. He was annoying. But we really hated McHale, too. Because McHale was also chippy and a little dirty. You know, he's kind of rough, even though he's long and gangly, right? So Knicks fans, we did not like McHale. I remember he missed, I think, one of two foul shots. It was big at the time. And, boy, the place exploded. I'll never forget it. God, that was a long time ago. I mean, literally and figuratively as a Knicks fan. I mean, I, it's, it's, it's hard to imagine ever seeing that kind of atmosphere those days again right now as far as the Knicks are concerned. Uh, and then finally, speaking of playoff action, I got to tell you, you know, I never talk about hockey because I don't follow it. I don't know nothing about it. But every now and then I will tune in to playoff hockey because it is definitely different than the regular season. And, you know, maybe it's because I don't pay close attention to it. So I, I don't notice any hype really surrounding it. But just from, from a pure athletic endeavor and competitive standpoint, I watched, and I didn't watch the whole game last night, but I watched some of the Caps against the Lightning because the Caps are a team that I'm vaguely familiar with the fact that they basically are always good every year and they always choke in the playoffs. And they've got one of the best players in the league in Alexander Ovechkin. And they went up 2-0 in this series against the Tampa Bay Lightning, winning the first two games on Tampa's home ice. So you would think it should be a cakewalk. Well, of course, in typical Capitals fashion, they then went home and lost two games on their home ice. Um... And we're actually three, and we're down 3-2. And they went, and so in a must-win last night, they got it done. But just watching it, I mean, first of all, I mean, I, I, from what I've read, the Caps exuded, exerted, like, max, like, off-the-charts effort last night. Checks, hard play, but, but not dirty. There's no fights. And, look, it was only 3 nothing, not a lot of scoring. Uh, the first goal, I think, didn't come to midway through the second period. But... It just it's exciting to watch and it's fun to watch and without all the hype and the nonsense and statistics thrown in your face every two seconds and graphics on the screen and look hockey does not translate well to television that's one of the, the, the biggest downfalls of the sport it's much better to watch in person than it is on TV because it's very unless you are somebody who played the sport or know the sport really well it's very hard to follow the action particularly the puck right so there's stuff that's happening where the guys. You know where the puck necessarily may not be involved. That is integral to to the sport and and the action. But you don't know that if you're a, a, a casual at best hockey fan. But nevertheless, I found it to be an extremely enjoyable viewing event last night. And then just actually, we'll get you out of here on this. Look, men's lacrosse final four 
Maryland, Duke, Yale. Okay, those are all teams you would expect. And then Albany, really? Very interesting. Uh, I believe Maryland plays Duke, so our old uh, ACC rivalry has been renewed. Um, And by the way, I talked about this on a show mm, probably around this time last year. Maybe it was right after Maryland won the national championship for the first time uh, in a long time when they beat Ohio State. Uh, that lacrosse is getting more and more popular uh, as it continues to move into the Midwest and the West, right? Um, it used to be very much of a niche, Northeast, Atlantic, Coast, you know, elite sport. And in a lot of ways, it still is. But there was a big article in the Times a couple of weeks ago about how uh, interest is up, uh, viewership is up, attendance is up for some of the major league sports. They've got some of these uh, former players who are like Wall Street guys now founded these leagues here in the city where they're getting inner city kids into it and kids at public schools into it. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, in 10 years, there will be a viable professional lacrosse team in North America. I'm telling you right now, with a TV contract and fans and viewers. As the pendulum starts to swing ever more against the NFL, I'm telling you, it's going to be a sport that people like me, who grew up watching football their whole lives, who either get turned off or they change the game of football so much, or maybe there isn't a game of football, who knows? I'm telling you, in 10 years, lacrosse is going to be a thing. All right, that's going to do it for today's show. As always, thanks for listening. You can check us out on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on my Facebook page, which is also Jamal About Sports. Of course, on the website, Jamal About Sports, on Twitter, at Jamal About Sport. I am a social media maven. All right. Thanks again. Enjoy all the sports. Until next week, peace out.